Rippy Writes with Brian Scott Rippy. Transcript can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. What is up on a Friday? I am Brian Scott Rippy. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Rippy Writes podcast. We've got Weldon Rodenberg on the show today to discuss a little summer recruiting Mississippi State's recent wave of momentum, what that means for Ole Miss, why you shouldn't overreact to June recruiting, how he handled the ebbs and flows of summer recruiting when he worked on staff under Matt Luke and that one year under Lane Kiffin, and a whole lot of other topics as well related to football and recruiting, and then a little off-season soccer corner at the end. So buckle up, think you'll enjoy the show, but before we get to that, I wanted to remind you, the podcast is brought to you by Rent the Sip Oxford. Good friend of the pod, basketball correspondent Bracken Ray has a rental property at Turnberry available for use throughout the year. Still got some football game weekends open. The Mercer, Vandy, and ULM ULM football weekends are still available for rent. You know how it gets during big weekends. It can be hard to find a place to find a place to stay at an affordable rate. Bracken Ray's got you covered. It's a it's a unit at Turnberry off Old Taylor Road. It will sleep eight comfortably. It's gated. It has a pool, a sauna, tennis courts. Great for games, orientation, rush, parents weekend, or if you're just stopping by, you want to make a night or two trip to Oxford. You don't feel like dealing with the hotel. Rent the Sip Oxford has you covered with this Turnberry unit. Go to rentthesipoxford.com to check availabilities. You can also email Bracken, B-R-A-C-K-E-N, at rentthesipoxford.com for any questions. Go ahead and book your stay now. If you go online and use the promo code RippyWrites, that'll get you 100 bucks off any stay that's a two-night minimum. So you're getting a steal of a deal already with this great place, great location. It's less than a mile from campus, a straight shot to Swayze Field, basically a straight shot to Vaught-Hemingway Stadium and a grove just behind that. You need to check it out today if you're looking for a place to stay in Oxford any time of the year, but it also on big game weekends when the space becomes a little more scarce. You need to check them out, rentthesipoxford.com. You won't regret renting this Turnberry unit Trustworthy people, great place to stay. RentTheSipOxford.com. Go book it today and use that promo code and get 100 bucks off. Check them out. Again, RentTheSipOxford.com. Podcast is also brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Who is Skybox Sports Picks? Well, glad you asked at the world's best gambling handicapping website, the inventors of the Skybox Matrix Interval, an advanced modeling mechanism that has helped propel Skybox to the top of the sports handicapping industry. Football season will be here before you know it. Go ahead and sign up for Skybox Sports Picks, college football, and NFL picks. All you have to do is go to skyboxsportspicks.com. You can try it for a day, a week, a month. You can go season-long, all sports, sports-centric. I'd recommend just get the year-long total access package. It's going to save you money in the long run. They're the only way to profit in the long run. Don't lose money this football season by thinking you can just go off your own lanes in your own brain. Skybox Sports Picks goes by the math. They are the professionals. They hit and make money consistently every single year. If you're into sports wagering, just do yourself a favor. Go to skyboxsportspicks.com. Go find a picks package. Use the promo code RIPPY, R-I-P-P-E-E. That'll get you 20% off. They'll email you the picks in a nice color-coded spreadsheet by unit, and boom, you're more equipped to profit than you were trying than you were you were before trying Skybox. Check them out, skyboxsportspicks.com. Podcast is also brought to you by LB's University Avenue. Go see Greg if you're a Rippy Wright subscriber. That's rippywrights.substack.com. You get free newsletter from me and discounted meats. Right now, it's three six-ounce bacon-wrapped fillets for 20 bucks. Just go in and show Greg proof of subscription, and boom, that'll get you covered. Go find all your own favorites once you get set up there. It's prime grilling season. The weather's great outside. Enjoy the summer. Throw something awesome on the grill. LB's is the best butcher shop in the world. Check them out, LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. 
All right, here is Weldon Rodenberg on some summer recruiting trends, the 2024 in-state class, and uh, a whole lot more. All right, we now welcome on former Ole Miss recruiting specialist, Rippy Wright's football and football correspondent, Weldon Rodenberg. Uh, it's He looks like a new man. He is now married. This is the first time you've been on the pod since you've been married. I... I remembered you're getting married in June. I didn't remember exactly why. I think I was like, hey, recruiting's going nuts. Do you want to do a podcast? You're like, dude, I think I might not be able to. I, I can try to request some time on the honeymoon. And I was like, oh, Jesus. No, no, please do not ask your wife to podcast on the honeymoon. I just forgot the date. We'll, we'll set up shot when you get back. But I appreciate the dedication. How you doing, my man? Well, you got to, you know, set some boundaries early on. <laughs> you, can't, you can't give up the hobbies right off the bat. <laughs> That would be a hell of a line in the sand. It's just like, you know, you go down to the beach. I'm going to knock out a couple of, you know, 60 minutes on recruiting. Then we'll resume the honeymoon. Yeah, exactly. Nothing's more fun to talk about than that. Um, new life is good. I mean, it's we've been moved in together for a few months. So, like, nothing of that has really changed. Um, you can see me fiddling with this ring on my finger that I have not gotten used to. Uh, I have to introduce her as wife now, which is kind of a pretty bizarre thing to say to strangers. I was playing golf today and. Uh, actually I had to do that for like the first time. I was like, oh my God, like that is a really odd thing to say out loud, but it was great. You know, the wedding was, was awesome. We did it at the Grand Hotel in Fairhope. And then we went to Harbor Island in the Bahamas, this really cool place that oddly enough, we like knew four or five people that were there while we were there. Um, so we had, yeah, we had an incredible time. Um, and now we're back to reality, which kind of blows, but it is what it is. <laughs> you mentioned fiddling with the ring. Uh, our friend Michael Portner was in town in Oxford over the weekend. We played some golf, and he doesn't really play much golf. Uh, it's kind of a halfway business thing. But he was like, yeah, dude, yeah. I've never swung a golf club with this ring on. Like, it's kind of weird. Like, he had, like, the glove. I guess for you righties, that'll be your glove hand. So you got, like, the swing with the glove on it. Or Are I you left-handed? Yeah, I'm left-handed, so I put it. I do everything left-handed. You could chop my right hand off, and it wouldn't make a ton of difference. Oh, no I, shit. I did not know that. So, what? How's the golf swing with the wedding ring on? Did you fiddle with it? Did you take it off? How'd that go? Uh, well, I shot a 79 today. Hell uh, yeah! Which was awesome. So I played incredible. It's actually funny, but that was the first time with the ring on that I played golf. Um, but we played golf the day before the wedding. Okay. Um, over in Farrah, we had a big group and went out there, and it was without a doubt the worst round of my life. Not I a mean, great tone setter for the weekend. I mean, I think it was like the first time that the, all of it was settling in. I'm playing with her dad, my dad, my little brother. And I mean, I was just silent for like the last. <laughs> I just didn't say a word. I'm riding with her dad, my dad. I mean, you never met him, but he, you know, he's. He can be a lot, very competitive. We all are. We gamble quite a lot when we play. And he's just dogging me for 10 holes. He's like, what the, like, what the hell is this? Like, this is terrible. Like, I've never even seen you play like this. Like, I don't never picking you in this wolf game again. Like, you're horrible. Goes and tells the entire crew that at this welcome party how bad I played to every friend he could That's see. That's nice of him. Uh, it was no, it was very nice of him. So I got quite a redemption today, even though I wasn't playing with him. So I really feel like marriage is is good for me. This is great for my golf game. Gets a nice, you know, focus up a little bit because I mean I didn't eat the whole weekend, played like shit in golf, um, and it was all so much fun and incredible. And it was it was definitely like a very weird experience. But no ring golf game, great. So it was uh it was a big weekend all around for uh, my Baton Rouge crew, which is about two to three people. 
But you get married same day. I'm in uh, Birmingham for Matt Mims's wedding. I see our good friend Tap Patrick, and he mentions that he has a kid on the way, and that yeah. they were finding out the gender. I think that Monday. Not to do a gender reveal on the podcast, I actually still don't know. But I was like, dude, it's just the Baton Rouge guys moving, moving and shaking, going places. A big time for the uh, BR crew. What was the favorite, least favorite part? I say least favorite part. Maybe that's not a good way to put it. What was the wedding experience like? Was it as big of a uh, kind of uh, exhausting experience as you thought it would be? What was the whole process like? It was really quick. I think that's what I learned is like the entire weekend, you know, you're doing all this planning and years ahead or just a year ahead, actually. Um, I actually, I take all that back. I didn't do any planning, but the anticipation (laughs) of getting there and everything, um, it was great. I do not like attention. I actually cannot stand it. And my dad told a story. I used to like cry at my birthday parties when people would sing me happy birthday because I was like, I hate this so much. So I was way, way, way more nervous about the rehearsal dinner than I was the actual ceremony, everything. Like, I mean, I was, like I said, I could not eat, you know, I couldn't even think I was barely talking to people. Um, and it was incredible. I mean, it was so much fun. My, uh, all my groomsmen and all of her bridesmaids and everyone that spoke did like an incredible job. It was a ton of fun. The party after was great. Got to see a lot of friends I haven't seen in a while from old Miss. Uh, and then the ceremony day was great. Uh, it rained. We were planning to do it outside. So we actually had to do it in inside at the hotel, uh, which was perfectly fine. It actually was a lot better. Everyone was like anticipating it, but no one knew what was going on. So everybody was in the bar from like 430 to 630. Uh, it was the drunkest wedding I've ever been to. And I, you could tell, I mean, I'm up there, I'm seeing everybody, everyone's laughing and giggling and talking and because everything changed, it was so less formal. It was actually a lot better for me. I could kind of relax and be like, okay, everyone's having a good time. We're having plenty of fun. Uh, it went great. I really can't think of something that was like my least favorite part of it. Um, That's a great answer. Yeah. Which I think is the correct answer. Not that Elizabeth listens to these podcasts, but I think she'll be proud of me in spirit that I said that. <laughs> We just ruin her Sunday afternoons during football season by just uh, taking polluting y'all's house with noise. But uh, <laughs> someone has to bring home the bacon. I don't care that she works at J.P. Morgan. You know, exactly. I'm paying the bills on here. <laughs> I know. I mean, just the six-figure side hustles. You know, we'll renegotiate your salary at the end of the year, year-end reviews, as we always do. But you know, someone's got to bring home the money these days. That's uh, that's awesome, though. I'm happy for y'all. That sounds like a really cool experience. Um. You mentioned it being the drunkest wedding was part of that. The fact that, you know, you had to have be on your you, you had to be on your shit for the lack of a better phrase. So you got to kind of observe, you know, and have a better, keener eye for wow, these guys have, have had a few. I felt like that way when I was a reporter, like coming to the bar late to meet up with guys in college where I'm behind the eight ball and I look around the bar and I'm like, this is like zombie land. Was it kind of like that? You had a keener eye and were able to observe and it's like, okay, people are having a good time here. Well, you so you know, when you're getting married, you have to go, you know, you, the day starts very early. Yeah. You're doing pictures and stuff. So we had the ceremony set at 630 because it's hot as shit in Alabama. And we're like, hey, it'll be probably better by 630 outside. Um, So we got our pictures and all that stuff done by like, you know, 330 or 430 because there's just a schedule. I follow it. You know, I don't get to make any decisions. Um, But everyone state was staying at the hotel or like near the hotel. And they have a great bar there at the Grand. And I mean, it was full of the damn near the entire group of people that were going to the ceremony at 430. 
and people were just ordering drinks and drinking for two hours. And that's all anyone was doing. Not to mention that we spent the entire day at the pool drinking for hours. Uh, it wasn't like, you know, sometimes like maybe if you're in Oxford, like you kind of everyone just kind of shows up to the event. Yeah. The, the event was like at the bar and then we just walked to the ceremony and I had not been to many weddings like that where you're where everyone was pre-gaming together. So it actually was a lot of fun. But like by the time that ceremony started, people were like, all right, let's, you know, let's wrap this up. Let's get this over with. We're inside. We're not outside. It's not formal. Let's just let's make a move. So it was actually really, really great. It's funny you mentioned the kind of attention piece of it, too. I am the exact same way. And I know that might come as a shock as I host a podcast and assume that people want to think like what I have, like consider what I have to say on a semi-regular basis. And there's somewhat just like an ego involved with the whole like media space, even though I do it part time now. But I just like like drinking, telling stories, having a good time. I don't like the like even though I like to talk a lot, like just like the center of the spotlight be on me in like intimate settings like that. And that's probably the part I'm dreading the most too. I don't need, like, again, I'm appreciative of it all. I'm sure you were too, but like the, the part that gives me the biggest, like, I don't know, anxiety is the fact that like you are the center of attention all week. And I'm kind of in the same boat as you. I don't really love that. No. And it's, it's really not about like the center of attention or whatever. Cause like I did, you know, I, I speak at a lot of my friends' weddings. Like that's yeah. actually the easiest part is speaking yes, about it other is. people. It's listening to other people speak about you in a public setting. Exactly. That is very unusual. Um, and like, kind of like disarming. It's a very weird feeling. It's something I was like incredibly nervous about because you don't really know how it's going to go, what they're going to say, what they're going to bring up. Cause it's, you know, it's totally random. And I mean, yeah, there's always like a little roast associated with it, which is fun and fine. Um, but it really was, it was great. And it doesn't mean I wasn't like absolutely petrified about it for a week ahead of time, but uh, it, it's a weird feeling that's kind of hard to describe. And it's something, like I said, you don't go through it very often unless like you're being given an award, which I have gotten none of. I don't win many awards either. I don't, I don't think <laughs> yeah. I've won any. So I uh, haven't really been there or done that, but uh, it all went really really smooth which was fine and like with our general crew giving them an open mic i mean you don't know what's going to come up you get a guy well, with especially like your crew yeah i, mean, I know your crew like, is a total wild card and mine can be but we've all i mean four of my best friends have gotten married this year so honestly at this point they've gotten so much practice on what <laughs> to do that it, it really kind of culminated into a pretty great night um i the earlier in january went to one and it was like ah oh, this is this ain't it <laughs> this is not going well yeah it's just like you give six course lights to one of like our bu our buddies and it just like is he like what is he gonna be like, you remember that time we got stuck on the side of the road and almost went to jail it's like maybe don't bring that up or whatever and it's i can see how that could cause some anxiety but i'm, I'm glad it went well i'm glad you are back in one piece um, you decided to get married in the random dead heat of summer, but I'm sure you were planning for the recruiting world, just going bananas. You texted me, I think when you kind of got back and settled and you're like, the board's melting. And I was like, yeah, it's been a weird, uh, it's been a weird, uh, random week in the summer. And like, we'll bounce around with a couple of different topics, but that was kind of the main focus of today's podcast is for a random week in June, the recruiting world heated up and as the cold like college ecosystem continues to change and you try to figure out kind of recruiting, particularly high school recruiting in this NIO age, it's not that you didn't see stuff like this in the past, but this one felt like different for whatever reason, I guess, to set the scene a little bit. Mississippi State got a wave of in-state commitments over the last week to 10 days. Three in-state kids 
that were uh, highlighted, I guess, by what was it? Harrell, Jimothy Lewis, and Braylon Burnside. They all commit in a very short amount of time. Um, kind of the natural, just uh, I would say ricochet effect of there really nothing, be, nothing being going on from the college sports, college football news cycle. All people really have is to focus on that. And I was just kind of fascinated at the dynamics of it. So I guess we'll start here. When you were working in recruiting, you started off under Matt Luke's staff. And I distinctly remember this. And I don't remember if this was when you were full time yet or where exactly this fell on the calendar. But the first couple of years of the Matt Luke era, they were facing significant recruiting limitations. They had a hard time managing a roster because of um, you know, scholarship sanctions, the whole NCA saga that most everybody listening to this kind of understands. And I remember it being a little bit of a concerted strategy for Ole Miss to get an early wave of commitments. I think they filled up to like 16, 17 kids early on one time in the summer. And the idea from what I heard of it, from like talking to people is like, they need a spark. They need something to generate momentum, to get people talking about them, at least get it out in the kind of surface level media that, hey, things are trending in the right direction. Sure. Does it like, does it actually matter in the end? No, but it's also probably a practical measure to take given the situation Ole Miss is in. State's not in the same situation, but you have a coach who's never had any sort of responsibility like this before that feels like he needs to prove himself a little bit. And it felt similar in some ways from you, as you've been able to wrap your head around this, catching up on the news on uh, since you've been back, do you kind of see it similarly at all? How have you viewed what happened over the last week with that wave of commitments for Mississippi State? Yeah, I, I can see where you're making the correlation um, between. Definitely not apples to apples. Yeah, it's not apples to apples, um, really because of like where the situation started from. Of course, you know, Matt Luke was that was the interim and then hired as the head coach um, coming off of like a lot of sanctions, a lot of just bad publicity, a lot of, you know, really a lack of momentum in the entire program. Mississippi State, I mean, of course, the unfortunate death of Mike Leach, where they had to kind of turn to Zach Arnett, whether they really had a choice or not. Um, but like not really a whole lot of momentum in that program. I know they won the egg bowl, but like, you know, that that's really big for, for them, but it doesn't really matter on like a national scale. Um, but they, they really retooled that staff with guys who are like really committed recruiters and they were, did a really, really, really good job of getting guys on campus, you know, quite often, you know, it's pretty clear that they're taking, I don't want to say like a Mississippi made stance, um, similar to what what we had going on, which to this day is like one of the most overblown like conspiracies that like we were literally only recruiting Mississippi kids. Uh, it was simply like a, it's kind of a similar situation, a really good group of Mississippi players in that 19 class. You know, some of them didn't pan out the way you thought, but some absolutely did. Uh, is very similar to this 2024 group. It's really deep. There's a lot of really good players. So naturally, you're going to do what you should do and start inside out um and for mississippi state to be successful the way that just that program is they have to win as much in state as possible so yeah no shit they're going to try as hard as they can to get commitments and momentum from a lot of these guys in states and i mean they're good players too it's not uh it's really not you know anything unusual from their end to try to do this um it's it's what is Ole Miss's strategy compared to theirs. Are they winning on guys that Ole Miss really want? Um, are they taking guys Ole Miss doesn't want? Um, 
it's hard to say. It's impossible to know from the outside. And of course, you know, all of these sites, I know we're technically a podcast associated with one. Neil will tell you the same way. And so will Chase. I mean, it's impossible to know what's really going on inside yeah. that building and where, you know, what the board really is, you know, how things go. I mean, we had a guy, I mean, Ty Cooper was on campus like 9,000 times. I think it was in the 2019 or 2020 class. We never wanted the kid once. And it was like hyped up to be this big recruiting battle on Mississippi State side. And it was never that. So you really don't know the background of the scenarios, um, but they're doing really well. And Ole Miss, I mean, like I said, I told you I would do. I watched like their entire class. I watched all the Mississippi State guys. No one is is failing, but it does feel like their in-state momentum uh, in a class with a lot of really good in-state players coupled with a few guys decommitting from Ole Miss and going there or just not even visiting has kind of, you know, gathered some momentum and some some issues and some commotion amongst the two fan bases on like what is all going on here right now. I mean, it's a lot, but it's also the summer. There's also not a whole lot to talk about. This is going to be one of them. And that leads me to kind of my next question that I thought of today is, you know, Chase and I did a college baseball centric podcast on Wednesday, and we hit a couple of topics that we talked about a lot through the last four to five months. And like with the NIL era in baseball, the kind of whole like gentleman's agreement, you know, for a long time, literally until like the last couple of years in college baseball, if a kid committed, like it was just sick the dogs off. Nobody recruited him, which is just a wild thing to think about. It never made any sense, but it was a, a rule that I like really appreciated. And like was we, actually abided by. Like it was yeah, not because, like a fake thing where it's like, don't ask, don't tell. It's like, no, this actually really happened for a long, long time. Yeah, it started. Uh, I remember we were recruiting Mo Hampton, if you remember that name. Maurice yeah. Hampton, who was from MUS, who was a really good baseball product. Somehow he is actually still playing baseball. This kid was a like a 2018 wow. recruit. He is still playing baseball at like Sanford. Um, and he was committed to LSU for baseball and for football as well. And, we you know, we're still recruiting him. And we had to tell, you know, Bianco and Lafferty, those guys who do an incredible job co-recruiting football and baseball players, like, hey, like, y'all got to help us out on this. And I do remember they weren't, like, hesitant to it, but it was like a conversation, like, look, like, you kind of have to help us play ball a little bit. Like, I know the rules. This needs to be a football-driven thing. We don't. This need is to a football-driven recruitment. And, of course, they are like they did everything we asked and, and more because they're the best at it when it comes to doing those dual recruiting um, but yeah, I know what you're saying. It, it would be nice if that was the way everywhere, but I obviously, you know, that's not the case. Yeah, quite obviously. And that's kind of what I was getting to. It's like, you, you couldn't draw a starker comparison to a major sport like college football. And what I was going to throw at you is when a kid like that, just say it's a, re whatever you can think of, whatever example, I'm sure you have many through the years when a kid that Ole Miss and state are both after, let's say he commits to Mississippi state or just elsewhere. I don't know. It may be the same in general. How does that change how you guys recruit a kid that it ends up committing elsewhere in the summer or you know you're recruiting a kid that's already committed somewhere else? Does that change the approach at all? It's a great question. It is really dependent on the player. Okay. Where is he on the board? You know, what was he like during the recruitment process? Do we really think there's still a chance there? Is there outside influences that you know show that we're wasting our time? It's always hard to say, you know, of course, in Mississippi, you have to look at academics as well. That was a huge Emmanuel Forbes situation is he committed to Mississippi State. We really believe we could have flipped him, but it was like 
you know, we like this player a lot, but he has like a negative GPA. Like, are we going to go through this entire effort to have him never get on campus? Of course he gets on campus and is a great player. That's whatever. Um, but it, it's all situational. I mean, I'm trying to think of a player that committed there, committed to us off the top of my head. And it could be uh, anywhere too. Like I know state's kind of the news cycle, but just like recruiting a kid committed somewhere else in general. But I guess, I guess being recruited to Alabama and LSU would change the calculus in its own right, given the pecking order of the programs. Well, I mean, like Byron Byron Young's an example of a guy okay. in that 18 class who was committed to Alabama. He committed really early. Um, he's kind of in that part of the state that's like closer to Alabama. You know, we recruited the hell out of him, but at the end of the day, you know, and I kind of respect the kid for it. He just wanted to go to Alabama, like. You know, you can do all of the background channeling and all of that stuff. It Sometimes it just doesn't matter. I, I think McKinley Jackson was another one who is still playing at A&M. You know, we really thought we had a great shot with him. I think that was, you know, a classic A&M deal. Where they kind of, you know, they got in with him and, and made it happen. And we recruited him till the end. Of course, we really thought we were going to have a pretty solid chance of potentially getting him. Coach Luke got fired. That was pretty much it after that. Um I mean, it's all kind of dependent on the situation, where they located. I think it's kind of like a weird thing that I learned about Ole Miss in-state recruiting. And, look, I was only there for three years, so there's people that have better knowledge of it. But despite a lot of these kids being in-state, they aren't necessarily in-state for Ole Miss. Uh, I think Mississippi State has – a pretty large advantage around the state with in-state kids, whether it's just the history of their families being state fans, uh, the fact that Ole Miss pulls a lot of out-of-state kids academically and, you know, has done, you know, a really good job sometimes going out-of-state for football talent. Um, Oxford High School compared to Starkville doesn't really produce the same amount of players. I mean, Starkville, I mean, Burnside and A.J. Brown is – most certainly the exception to that rule. Uh, the south of the state is a lot of LSU. Um, there's kids, you know, especially in that kind of like that Hattiesburg, the Biloxi area where it's like, I mean, you're two hours from Baton Rouge and you're four hours from Oxford. Like you're, you're in state, but you're really not. They it mirrors to- the fandom too. If you just go down there and hang out, it's not that there aren't Ole Miss and state people down there, but it's a lot of, it's of the more Saints LSU Bayou culture than you would ever think. It doesn't feel like the rest of Mississippi at all. No, it's a, it's almost a different state. And then really course, you've got the East side of the state where like Meridian is in that area. I mean, that's, those are Alabama people yeah. as much as any. I mean, there's another, that kid, uh, Daniel Hill at Meridian is a top 10 player in the state. He's not interested in going anywhere except for Alabama if they take him. So it's it's hard. It is harder on Ole Miss than people think. And I think when they do a really good job, you know, they did last year with Aiden Williams and Suntarian Perkins. But those were guys that were like in the very, you know, interesting Ole Miss pockets. I mean, if Perkins played high school football at Meridian, he probably is going to be at Alabama. But he was in Raleigh, which is kind of one of these unusual Ole Miss, you know, pockets. Uh, along with him being on campus, like before I even worked there. I mean, that kid's been there since seventh grade. Uh, They're just inherent disadvantages more than I think people would think, but it doesn't mean that they're incapable of overcoming them and and incapable of doing what they need to do. And I think they're actually going about it in a very interesting way. Um, And I'd be fascinated to know what their actual thoughts are inside the building and whether they're being successful at it or not. 
The geographical angle is interesting, and it's something I've probably thought about in different like portions, but never put together like a full thought as a whole. Like Ole Miss and State, to some degree, are kind of unfortunate in that way because you're right. Like Meridian High School, pretty good program, some decent talent at other schools in that area too. And Tuscaloosa's, you know, less than an hour away. In some cases, very much less than an hour. And like again, LSU, New Orleans, that whole proximity to the coast is very close. And again, it's not like. Not a great example, but like if if South Alabama, if Southern Alabama was like a very hotbed area of recruiting, and let's say the University of Florida was in Pensacola versus being way down in the panhandle in Gainesville, like I wonder how that would change the recruiting dynamic between Alabama, Auburn, and Florida. Again, Florida can recruit nationally too, but it's well, just Florida weird to have two of rivals that mere, like touch your come close to touching your state in general proximity. Yeah, we, we think on state lines a lot, but that's not necessarily the case. But there's right. also a factor, and I think I've talked about it on this podcast, just knowing a lot more about Louisiana. Uh, there was this thing called Katrina. I don't know if you ever heard of it. Yeah. Where a lot of families had to evacuate to many different places. And it is always so fascinating to me. Mississippi is included in this as well, especially on the coast. Those families relocated. Sometimes those families have athletes. And you're just incredible the amount of kids that are somewhere else, whether it's Houston or Dallas or Florida or Atlanta, it's like, oh, my whole family's from Mississippi. We left because of blah, blah, blah. My whole family's from Louisiana. I was born in Baton Rouge. They evacuated to Houston, you know, blah, blah, blah. So there's there's other situations like that, but that can really be an advantage for a school like LSU because it's like just going back home. But for Ole Miss, you have Mississippi State there too. So there's no yeah. guarantee that there's – that there's still that advantage. Um, so, yeah, I think a lot of people have seen Ole Miss in this class, like really go after Louisiana. Pete Golding is as good as anyone there. And I see there's like a concern. It's like, well, why would we have six kids from Louisiana? We could have six kids from Mississippi. Sure, you could. But if you're going by your evaluations, you think those guys are better, you go for those guys. You don't always have to stay in state. But the flip side of that is there's a lot of really good in-state players that Ole Miss does not have committed to them, and there are other places. And that's, I think, the biggest, you know, commotion being started by, you know, whether it's a message board or just, you know, fan, you know, thoughts in general of, like, are they being successful right now? I don't know. And, like, the greatest, like, general thought bubble as it pertains to kind of everything we just talked about is – I believe, if I'm not mistaken on my timeline, we got another one of the classic threads after all this happened is if imagine Ole Miss and State were one school instead of having two SEC schools right there in the backyard. And that kind of like encapsulates like I would say like the message board packaging of this type of conversation. Yeah. It is a weird <laughs> what if because it's not like they're both huge schools. And like it kind of goes down that road is like, yeah, they probably would be national powers. But guess what? It was never going to happen. It didn't happen. And the window for that to happen uh, happened before we had like, you know, cable TV and such. So probably not revisiting that anytime soon. One of the things unlikely. you mentioned. Yeah, go ahead. No, no, I said unlikely. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just not going to happen. So one of the things that you mentioned a second ago when I was asking you about like the mindset change when a kid commits and like how that changed the recruiting process, you mentioned like evaluating grades or depend on the kid and like what his mindset is and how interested he is, what he was like on campus. The way you described it makes it sound like to me that it's very much more so again, I don't want to keep using like the baseball example, but it's not, a, it's not a thing of 
is this kid worth stepping on toes for? It's more so, is this kid worth allocating our resources and our time to? You don't actually give a shit about what other programs think if you want to go after a committed kid. Of course not. That's yeah, that's what I figure. The issues. No, no, no. But now it's even different because, you know, we were in the beginning stages of the portal and NIL when I was still there. That's obviously in full force now. So now you have to realize, you know, think about, okay, do we really like this kid? And are we going to pursue a higher offer for him now that he's somewhere else? And that's a lot easier said than done from a fan perspective. It's like, okay, we can go with that higher offer and that's fine. But like, is that, like you said, where we want to allocate our resources towards? Uh, It's a difficult dynamic these days with it. Um, But it doesn't mean, I mean, if you like the kid and he commits to Mississippi State, like I'm looking at their list, like the the Lewis kid, that is – that guy, uh, the offensive lineman who visited like three times in two weeks and then commits to Mississippi State. Who knows what happened with that? That could have been a situation that, you know, they just sent him a bid to commit early and he took it. That could be a situation where Ole Miss was doing all of their due diligence because now he's in Florida. Like we haven't really seen this kid a lot recently. Maybe they weren't even interested in him. They saw him or like, you know what? Maybe like, you know, this kid's highly rated because he's at IMG now, but like this guy ain't for us. And then Mississippi State, whether they heard that or he took that as the the kid took it as that and then committed to state. You really don't know exactly what's going on Um, and you don't know how they're going to respond once they commit somewhere else. You might never hear that kid's name again. He's going to be a state kid from now on. Uh, Harrell and Burnside, I, I don't think that'll be the same situation. I think they'll try to recruit those kids till the end but again I mean they're not as good as Aiden Williams (laughs) like they might not I mean I watched both of them again after watching them uh with Siski and I and of course I I can only see the highlights I don't necessarily have um all of like the measurements and camp film and all of the you know for context reasons I can only see the highlights and they're really good players but they're not great players um, I see why people are in love with J.J. Harrell. He is really athletic. He's very fast, but he's a short stepper. And, I mean, he never see him drop his weight. All he runs is goes and, and stops. That's literally it. Burnside's small and not that fast, but he's definitely a really uh, instinctual receiver with good hands and great after the catch. They're not perfect prospects, but I think that they're at state and that momentum's building. That's like the frustration. It's like, well, they could have been ours and their receivers. And that's what Ole Miss does. And Ole Miss actually has the defensive lineman in this class, whereas they had the receivers like this weird mix that usually doesn't happen. Uh, And they had a lot of momentum because they got them all at the same time. And that's like a very frustrating thing, you know, time after time after time, seeing that happen, it just builds whether it's like really the end of the world or not is is to be seen. And one of the things that I pulled up a second ago before we started record, recording that's interesting to me is of the currently the top 20 kids in 247 composite state rankings or 247's rankings I should say of the top 20 kids by my count nine of them are committed to Ole Miss or state. The 20th kid appears uh that would be William Eccles appears to be deciding between Ole Miss and state. But even that, that's only half of the top 10 or the top 20 that are committed to an in-state school. Now, there's a Southern Miss kid in there, but there's a Florida. There's an Arkansas. There's two Arkansas. There's one Southern Miss randomly mixed in there. Congrats to them, I guess, Hattiesburg kid. Uh, There's an A&M. 
there's actually two A and M's. So in an Oklahoma two mix Stanford's. In there there's yeah. two Stanford, which is outrageous, it's bizarre. It's incredible. Good for those kids. That that you can't really go against. I know they had the running back uh, Chris Davis was committed, who I love. I think he's a really good football player. If he wants to go to Stanford, you say congratulations. You know, you, there's no competing with that. That's just a totally different level. But yeah, it, it's a classic case of there's a lot of talent in Mississippi. And every year there's a lot of talent in Mississippi. Other programs come in and do their best to get them out. Uh, it happened in 19. It happened in, what was that, Shay's year? It's like 17. Yeah. It, it always, 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 always happens. I think what you're about to see is a lot more Texas offers in Mississippi and a lot more Oklahoma offers in Mississippi. There's already one, I think, that uh, there's an offensive lineman committed to Oklahoma. That's coming, too. So it's going to be incredibly difficult to keep the best players in the state, especially if they're kids, and there's plenty of them who had just made this decision for whatever reason. They're just like, I want to leave. And you can't – you can fight that as long as you want. You can pay them as much as they want, but everyone's paying and everyone's trying to. Uh, so it's tough. And I'm not trying to make this doom and gloom because, I, it, like sure. I said, Again, it's, it's June. June, it's summer. But I think it's it's good to know the context of, like, kind of what we I used to see, what may be happening, what may not be happening. But I did preface this with we have no idea what's going on inside the building. I think they really like the group they have now. I, and I really like the group they have now. But they definitely need to hit on some of the bigger guys. And it seems like generally, again, for June, they're doing, again, as someone who doesn't follow this nearly as closely as people that cover it, it does seem like they're doing a pretty good job. It's something you said earlier. It's like no one's failing here. It's just an interesting kind of week or revelation in this whole kind of winding saga. I think that the I want to go out of state mindset is interesting to me because Mississippi is a smaller state, obviously, out of the 50. There's not very many big cities. I mean, outside of Jackson, it's not like everywhere is totally like podunk, but there's not huge metroplexes. Whereas, like, again, it's almost impossible to compare. But I doubt you ever find a Texas kid that's like, I want to get out of the state of Texas because you can go (laughs) from El Paso to East Texas. It's like longer than the trip to Chicago. You know what I mean? There's not a whole lot of like, I don't feel like I hear or read about a lot of kids that are like, I just got to get out of the state of Texas. Where Mississippi is a little different because also the kid grew up in a small town and that's kind of all they know. Yeah, I, I agree with you, but I also the there's like the opposite factor of that, which is these kids who have grown up in Houston and Dallas, and it's so big. Want to go smaller. I actually don't want to be here anymore. Interesting. Um, whether that's to get away from, you know, bad actors around them on the outside, whether that's just like they want to change the scenery. Um, Texas is recruited so heavily by everybody that these kids get offered more than they really probably should gives them the advantage of going to see new places. And you, you'd be surprised. Texas is actually, it, it's more, they're more open than you would think. I mean, you think of all these kids that have gone to Ohio state from Texas. Or just from, everywhere. Ole Miss. Just everywhere. Texas. Ole Miss used to do great in Texas. And I think they, uh, they still do fine there. Um, but, you know, Alabama has done incredibly well in Dallas, LSU it almost dominates Houston. Now that A&M and Texas can pay kids, you know, Legally, it's going to be a little bit more difficult, but I think it's it's always a kid by kid situation. It's not a state by state situation, but I think especially when you have a class like this inside of the state of Mississippi with these just really highly ranked 
and also really good players, it brings this stress and anxiety on both schools, State and Ole Miss, to do really, really well because unlike Texas, unlike Alabama, unlike Louisiana, it's not always deep. So when you're given this advantage of having the kids in state, whether it's a real advantage or not from the outside, you know, you have to attempt to take, you know, as much control over that as you can. And with the kids like Waller and Franklin, I mean, they're both five stars. I mean, when's the last time Miss had two five stars? Uh, it's been a long time. I mean, it's been five years probably since Ely and Charles Cross. Uh, and, you know, those guys stayed in. These two, as of right now, it doesn't look like they are. And that's kind of like, how do we do this? What are we doing here? And what do we need to do? From your experience in the couple years that you worked there, if you had, and I don't know, maybe y'all had a week like this. I don't know if anything comes to mind. I do know this coming week, like Ole Miss had a week off this past week. They finished some workouts. I think they all took a week off or they kind of come back and do their workouts and get prepared for camp. But like when you have on the recruiting side, when you have a week like this in the summer where your in-state rival picks up three recruits and there's like this kind of faux surface level momentum buzz in the news cycle, if you want to even call it that, yeah, I mean, sure. is, is, is it talked about? Is there a meeting had or is it just business as usual and keep kind of persisting? What is that actually like inside the building? I feel like and not to answer the question after asking it, which I have a bad habit of doing. But That's to true. me, my first guess would just seem like business as usual. It is business as usual. You you just move on with the situation, especially with the way these kids commit and decommit. It, it's not changing the entire, you know, frame of the board or anything like that. Um, I mean, the Waller kid committed to Florida. I think you have to reevaluate that situation. You have to figure out how to get kids on campus. You have to figure out whether you want to go all in on that or not. Um, but no, it's not some panic. Um, Twitter is not real life, whether or not, you know, some Preach. people want to believe it you know, subtweeting and tweeting, like people can do that and just like turn around and, and start eating lunch. It's not a big deal, whether that's from our staff or anyone else's staff or from, you know, writers or whatever. Um, it, it's, it's whatever. And then even beyond just like the superficial social media buzz and the conversation it creates on message board and otherwise dead time of the year. I imagine for you guys that have you know been there a few years and done gone through the wars and things like that, it's probably just like a, eh, we'll see. Like it's June. Like that you, you, you have a mindset and you understand that if you want these kids, and again, we don't know what's going on inside the building, but like it's like this could take nine different twists and turns. Like this almost it would like, it would almost seem to me like it'd be hard to register. It's like, all right, it's not a, nothing that these kids committed, but at the same time, it's like this is a long way from over. Oh, definitely. And I think Lane's um the way he's gone about it, uh, this is actually kind of new for him to have this many commits in June or whatever. Uh, but I'm sure Pete has at least a little bit of influence since they're taking a shit ton of DB. So clearly they, they needed to, um, he likes to wait towards the end. He likes to wait with the, you know, official visits as many as he can get, you know, towards November and December uh, to be able to make like kind of like, you know, the final, you know, push or final play final, you know, selling point, whatever that is. Um, so it's not really new for him to wait on some of these bigger kids. I think the difference now is, it's not nothing to have them committed to you. <laughs> it's, you know, it's nice. You'd rather them be committed to you than somewhere else. But that doesn't mean you have to panic when it happens. Um, and also, like I said, context is so important. You see, I mean, we used to read the boards when we were working um, because I thought really? it was, 
No, absolutely. Absolutely. We would read all of them. Um, mainly because I just like to hear what the kids had to say to the reporters. Like, okay, like, you know, what's going on here? Like, who's recruiting him? Like, you know, they don't make that stuff up to these reporters. Like, you know, this, what, what's the point of that? Um, but then you also see the reporters come up with, like, their own narratives to make, you know, at least someone else look bad or someone look good. And you'll read it and be like, listen to what their sources have to say. Like, oh, you know, it was a hard-fought battle for – you know, Arkansas to get whatever kid from Ole Miss. But at the end of the day, you know, the Hogs prevailed. And in reality, like, we're not even recruiting the kid. So then it makes all the fans be like, yes. And it makes the Ole Miss fans be like, oh, what the fuck? Like, why didn't we get this kid or try harder? And we'll all just be sitting there like, what? this is so stupid. So that's, like, a part of this as well. You just don't know, like – each side, each story for each recruit is very different. And I would, I would tell people, and I think Neil and Chase know this a lot because Neil and Siski, I mean, they are as tight as can be. And they talked, you know, while I was working there, you know, not everything, but they, they were cordial and they, you know, have a really good relationship that a lot of this stuff can be a lot of fluff and a lot of nonsense from sources um, that like don't aren't even there. So don't read into everything. But it for us, it was always interesting to see at least what was going on on the outside, whether it was bullshit or not. It's fascinating that you say that too, because again, I don't want to get into like a, a site wars thing here, start naming names. That's not what I'm. Yeah, that's no, not, no, no, no. I know that's not what you're saying. I, I, I kind of started thinking once you said that of a next question, and the reason I say that is I wanted to ask, like, from you guys reading it inside the building, I imagine, and I'll put this generally there's probably you guys probably either have or try to gain a more acute sense in terms of weighing opinions on is this guy objective or is this guy an unabashed fan homer because in college media it's so different you get a lot of those like when you guys would read stuff like that like did you have to take in context which person it came from at which site and like kind of what what i'd say what his hit rate and what his rep is in terms of how he conveys scoops is that makes any sense yeah, I never looked into it that much. And obviously, like, I talked to nobody. So, I mean, sure. just simply reading. Um, there was definitely certain people who did their jobs a different way than others, um, where, like, their sources were clearly, like, from the building and you knew it. Yeah. Um, and then there was people that, like, clearly their sources were from, like, themselves and just reading other people's stuff and being like, okay, like, this is what's really going on here. And it's clear as day i have no idea even from um, the media side there's no faking that there is no faking whether you're actually talking impossible. to somebody knows or you're reading and trying to say making it seem like you have inside sources and basing your kind of fringe level conversations and trying to make it seem like a source you cannot fake that it's clear yeah. as day and if you have a trained eye a hundred percent and we used like none of anything of that that was simply for us and like some of the recruiting kids just to read just to get more information yeah of course we are not like you know going into staff meetings like uh the 24 7 guy from auburn said this about like absolutely not that means nothing to us the coaches know more than anybody could possibly know so it was just more of like a an information gathering on like oh this kid wanted to be a you know agric agricultural engineer like okay we'll put that down you know it's put it in his file or whatever and just store it away for the future. That was all it was, but it was always funny to see the, like these grand statements and be like, okay, that's nonsense, obviously. So in that last question on kind of the media piece of it, cause I just found it very interesting. I would say Kiffin staff since he's been here. And again, 
I left right when they got here. I kind of got plugged back in ish in 2021, moved back here and kind of feel like I can still talk to some people and whatever it is, what it is. I'm not saying I'm like plugged in in the building or anything, but I would say from a general sense, and I'd be curious to get Neil's thoughts on it. I think he'd probably agree that this staff compared to other ones in terms of talking to local media and not even just giving them scoops, just general anecdotal information that they can kind of infer things in pieces and columns and stuff is pretty tight lipped. I would tell you that other staffs in the past, whether it's from the top down, have been less tight lipped. And so a lot of that from the less tight lips, I worked their advantage. You could kind of set a narrative straight without actually putting a quote out there that's like this coach says this. Sure. Like, did y'all ever talk about that or consider that at all? Like, it was like, I mean, you kind of worked for two different staffs. Did you notice a difference between the two staffs? Was that ever something that you ever thought about while you worked in the building? Um, it's really difficult to say with my my year with Kiffin because that yeah. was COVID, COVID year. It everything I've taken from that after like really taking a step back from it all and realizing how insane that was has given me like a way different perspective sure. on how he operates and how everything went that year. Um, I, I've been, you know, critical here and there. I really like kind of taking that back be like, that was just a completely unfair thing that we had to work through that he had to work through that everyone in that building was dealing with that year. So it was hard to take like a, a whole lot of takeaways one second. <clears throat> Away from that, I, I will say with the previous staff, it wasn't like we were open to media. I, I sure. think it was like we just did our jobs and we kind of let them do their jobs. And sometimes staffs will be like, we're going to do our jobs and we're going to make sure that nobody really knows what we're doing. Is that really what he's doing? Probably not necessarily. But there's just a different way of going about it. Uh, I mean, I remember like when kids would come on campus and everyone, a lot of the media guys would be outside for the, like, we just let them do it. Like, you know, they don't get to like come give, get quotes from everybody on how everything went from the inside, but we're not, we weren't never going to like, you know, shun people necessarily. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? I mean, who am I to say? It's not like I was a decision maker there, but it was, it was a little bit different, but really difficult to you know, dissect the differences because of how COVID went. And it's also like, I asked that in a very like gen general and broad sense. It's also not like a, a regime mandate type of thing. I mean, you get different coordinators with different personalities, with different levels of media savviness and different kinds of recording and things like do that. things differently. So yeah, there's different like people's personalities. Yeah, absolutely. So you, you really never know. We, I mean, that's the staff with Luke. Uh, I mean, those guys were incredibly mellow about stuff like that. It's not like they're sharing, you know, staffs, you know, secrets that they're not, but you know, they're just, they just did their jobs. And with Kip and staff, some of them were the exact same way. And some of them were like, I don't really do the media stuff. And Kevin doesn't really want everyone doing the media stuff anyway. So that was fine. It, it's just two different ways of going about it. Yeah, it really is. I mean, I'll never forget Phil Longo told me one time, like one of the first times I like actually like talked to him and really felt like I met him and I was just starting to work full time. He's like, you know, if I weren't a football coach, like I thought about kind of doing like the podcast and media space. I was like, dude, let's trade paychecks. I will gladly <laughs> switch yeah, spots. I'll call plays and you can have my salary. We'll see how that works out for can you. you but go, can you believe that he's going to be at Wisconsin? I had a guy on in December um, I think I may have paired it a with a podcast that we did. I can't remember. I was so fascinated by that whole dynamic. I had a Wisconsin guy on for just like six, like 15 to 20 minutes. I was like, what the hell is this going to be like? That is fascinating to me. And it is, it is 
something I'm looking forward to more than maybe anything else outside of like, you know, the SEC football is like, what is that going to look like? Because don't you, doesn't it get the vibe that it'll either be awesome or a train wreck? And I feel like that doesn't feel like a ton of middle ground. I I am a huge fan of Luke Fickle. My guess is that it'll, it'll be awesome, good to awesome, and eventually will be great because he's not an idiot. He's just that good, and their defense will always be good. Uh, it is going to be a, a culture shock in Madison watching that offense. But Longo gets a lot of flack, and a lot of it is is debatably deserved for how some of the things went with that offense. Um, but if you it's watch mainly. Yeah, I mean, I, I totally get it. And I don't know enough ball to, like, you know, make too many prohibitive statements off it. I know they had a lot of talent. Didn't score as many touchdowns as they probably should. Uh, but he, like, was – that offense at North Carolina, like, was not the same as it was at Ole Miss. Like, that guy has, like, really changed a few things and done a lot of pretty dynamic stuff um, with Drake May and them. So, I, I always kind of like the guy. I know some people don't, and I get that. They're he's fans. a nice man from the interactions I had with him. He's a peculiar guy, but he, he couldn't be nicer. Absolutely. Um, so that's a tangent, but interesting to see how that goes. <laughs> I'm fascinated to see how that goes. Do you think he got to, and not that you guys have like set things for like, we, I, this is a base level 40 time. Do you think he got to Wisconsin was like, all right, I kind of view 40 times a little differently versus like brute strength. I just imagine like the changing dynamic of like in-state recruiting at Mississippi, North Carolina, Texas, where he's been to just Wisconsin. I imagine he had to be like, these kids playing like in mud? Like what's going on here? Well, he's probably recruiting a lot from Texas where he yes. was before. He's like, I need some guys who can run because <laughs> this is this is not exactly it. And he'll probably get them too. I mean, Wisconsin's a pretty – it's a pretty big program. A lot of people like to go there. They, they recruit – a very unique style of play, and that will have to be changed uh, with him. For last question on kind of the recruiting topic, before I got a couple of random ones and we'll get out of here. Yeah. For you guys, as is, is, is we kind of wrap up the whole state gets three commitments or whatever, but again, it's June. You know, Ole Miss still has a couple of the top, you know, 10 players in the state committed. It's far from over from a couple of those guys. Uh, I'm sitting here looking at the 2024 class. I thought again, I was all the way back in 2019. I was like, Nathan Pickering, there's no shot that that guy's still around. Um, anyway, getting back like on the topic in the different approaches that tap staffs take at Ole Miss to in-state recruiting has always been fascinating to me because you can't completely not rely on it. But I also feel like Ole Miss and state are situated differently as programs to where I feel like Ole Miss has a little bit more wiggle room to kind of go the national outside of state lines route from someone that worked inside the building at Ole Miss I know you never worked inside the building at state but did you ever think about like the recruiting approaches inside these two buildings has to be pretty different like what did you think just seeing what they did and what you guys did when you worked there in terms of like an in-state out-of-state mindset it had to be completely different um you you just look by the way like they offer kids and who they recruited I think state um to their credit and sometimes to their detriment uh, really took a lot of fringe Mississippi players. Uh, I remember in, I think it was the 2019 class, I was looking over states um, like after signing day and just looking at my evals, looking at our evals, looking at some of the guys they took. I'm like, I don't get it. Like, I just don't get what they're doing here. I mean, some of these guys like just weren't even on the board. I, they're, they're all over there. Um but what they've done a really good job of, and I think Ole Miss is is about to do a really good job of this, is they were fantastic at getting the guys out of Louisiana and Alabama 
who weren't like surefire Bama guys okay. or surefire LSU guys. I mean, you, I mean, Dak Prescott and um, I mean, I, of course I can't, my mind is blanking as we're talking about it, but they've, they've always done a really good job of that. Um, and Ole Miss right now has these five kids from Louisiana and I watched them like these guys are just really good players. The hit rate out of Louisiana is so high and it's just something that I tried as far as we could to, to tap into because it's right next door and they they have they're so deep every year that it was like okay like let's let's go there and especially when Mississippi Mississippi wasn't as deep you would see state kind of going over there and going to Alabama and Ole Miss would kind of we kind of go everywhere you know you go to Tennessee a little bit you go to Memphis a little bit um it's it's a definitely a different it's very very different I think they go about the recruiting very differently um it, it's a lot of where are our advantages and let's just hammer them. You know, yeah. even if the kid is like, you know, whether he's highly ranked or lowly ranked, like if he's a guy we can get and we think he can play college football, especially at Mississippi state and he's in state or near us, we're just, go- we're going to get him. Whereas we usually were like, okay, we have to create our own advantages. We have to look and see like, where can we get the guys in state? Who are the guys we like? Then you really start attacking from the inside out. Uh, whereas they are attacking from like the inside and then like maybe out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's, just, it's just a larger bubble. And I think Ole Miss has a bigger brand than Mississippi State and is able to go different places, has produced like really popular NFL players that have been all over the country and state, you know, to their credit as well, has, you know, uh, a lot of NFL success, but it's like really in a lot of Mississippi pocket. kids, it's a lot of Mississippi kids, uh, a lot of lowly ranked that, you know, kids that worked out Ole Miss, they come from everywhere. Um, and those Mississippi guys that go to state, they're really connected to state. Um, guys like Fletcher Cox and Darius Slay and all those guys, you know, I don't think Slay's from Mississippi. I can't remember. Um, they're all still like back with that program. Whereas Ole Miss, you know, guys like Treadwell, guys like Tunsil, guys like Kandichi, who are really popular and, you know, Kandichi is his own thing. Um, even uh, you know, AJ and DK, like those guys were in state, the other guys were out of state. So they're still in and around, but it doesn't feel the same. And that's not a, you know, a bash on Ole Miss or a bash on those guys. It's just a different dynamic. There's more ebb and flow with Ole Miss in state and out of state, whereas Mississippi State knows where they have to butter their bread. Yeah. And they do it. And they pick guys towards the end and they focus on them. And for whatever reason, they get it done. Ole Miss does the exact same thing with just a smaller pool of advantages, I would say. Like when you say smaller pool advantages, smaller known ones on a year to year basis, where you kind of go looking around and say, okay, what are our advantages this year? Like, where do we think we have some leans where state knows exactly what it is every year, because it just seems a little more of like a concrete map because of the program branding. If a kid's at Holmes County central, like Terrence Hibbler is this year, he's going to Mississippi state. Okay. Like the things like that just happen. Like a kid at Provine, like Deontay Russell and his little brother, like they're just going to Mississippi State. And you can recruit them and you can try your best, but sometimes it just doesn't work. Ole Miss, Suntarian Perkins was going to Ole Miss unless something crazy happened. Uh kids are at Oxford High School, you know, and that kind of surrounding area, a really big advantage to Ole Miss. The only problem is that a lot of those guys, especially, you know, Franklin's at Cormorant and those Horn Lake kids, they're also so close to Tennessee. Yeah. 
that there's a lot of Tennessee pool there. Whereas even though Ole Miss is in that northern part of the state, it's not necessarily a guarantee that they've got Ole Miss people around them. Um, Mississippi State just has a, a few more in-state ties. But I mean, Aiden Williams was a guy that was like, he was going to Ole Miss and Nick's did an incredible job of making it happen. But I mean, that guy at that high school, for whatever reason, is just an Ole Miss high school. Um, and then the coast, like I've said multiple times, is like a total crapshoot. You just never know what you're going to get. Um, and it's just, it was always interesting that like these kids growing up, it's like, oh yeah, my family was Mississippi State fans, family Mississippi State fans, family Mississippi State fans. It was like a joy when it was like, Family or Ole Miss fans, right? You know, and I'm from uh, West Point, Mississippi. It was like, really? <laughs> that's odd. <laughs> that's that's different. Uh, and then guess what? If that was the case, we knocked it out of the park almost every time. Uh, I mean, Jerry and Ely is a pretty good example of that. Uh, so it just depends, and like, it, it's just a very fascinating state to recruit. I think probably the most interesting state to recruit in the entire country. Because of the amount of talent, the lack of depth, but in years like this, and honestly, even 25 kids I've looked at where there's just like really elite players, it's just very odd that a lot of the times their allegiances are like not necessarily to either of the in-state schools. Right. You go to Louisiana, it's like, you know, God send if they get an LSU offer, it's like freaking done. It's not hard to do. That job is the easiest job in the country. Truly because there's no Texas A&M in Lafayette or there's no Arkansas in Monroe or things like that. You know what I mean? No, like, I mean, they, they might not go 10 for 10 on the top 10 kids in the state because, you know, Alabama may get one or, yeah, A&M has been you know, heavier in there. But for the kids that are like elite players in New Orleans and especially Baton Rouge is a massive advantage of like what Baton Rouge has become and the amount of like incredible football talent just just there – it's like it's a just a it's a drop in the bucket. I mean, it's literally, a, you know, it's fishing with a bomb in the lake. I mean, you're just grabbing all of them. Uh, Ole Miss and Mississippi State have a really different situation to deal with. And I think that's like kind of culminating this whole conversation is why when you see Mississippi State have like real success in a year like this over a few weeks with highly ranked and really good players, that anxiety comes out. It's like, yeah. why? Like, why can't we be having the exact same success with some players that we wanted? Like they're getting theirs this year. Like you have to take advantage of it. And that's, I think why everyone was freaking out. I don't necessarily think it's warranted at this point, but I get it. And, you know, it's, it really is a fascinating, that's, this is kind of how I enjoy discussing recruiting. Like when people ask me at the bar or wherever, it's like, where do you think this kid's going? I'm like, buddy, I don't know. And I don't want to know. Never wanted a job like that. Even if I had the job, I probably couldn't tell you. Um, But like, I like the broader kind of like why you have these trends and years in this geographic situation. It's all just very fascinating to me. The next time we do this podcast, I would imagine we'll be pretty close to football mode. I would guess it's post SEC media days. I guess we'll be gearing up for fall camp. Um, one of the things I thought about is, do you have an early favorite? I didn't prep you for this for most nauseating storyline at SEC Media Days. I can't, I couldn't think of one off the top of my head. I thought about Kirby getting softballs about the general, just uh, I would say off the Shit field show. unrest. Yeah, doubt you think he gets any hardball questions in the uh, big room at SEC Media Days. 
I would say unlikely, but the way those stories have been written, I wouldn't be surprised if they sent someone down there to ask him. Be national. Oh yeah, no, and all the big hitters go. It'll be not national, not even national, not like Wolken or any of those guys, but from AJC, I bet they send somebody to ask him because that has been a story that has just been swept under the classic June rug. Uh, It's a bad look. It's an incredibly terrible look. Um, is it going to affect anything? Probably not. Uh, but I, if you're giving me a storyline that'll be nauseating, I mean, everything surrounding around NIL is just nauseating in itself. Um, I bet something to do with this Texas A&M state law will be like the big thing of like, how are these collectives doing that? That'll be the biggest question. Uh, but I mean, I actually love media days. I always think they're really interesting to watch. Um, to it's see a TV event. Being there as a reporter, have some balls like me was worthless, question. but it's a it's a media TV event. Uh, absolutely is. Um, and you don't get to see these guys talk that often, so it's like, okay, I want to see what they have to say. Um, I think I usually like when the players go up there, but the past few years, like they've just been incredibly uninteresting. Yeah. Um, and they continue to be that way with all this media training, uh, which that kind of sucks. Uh, but yeah, I think some sort of NIL portal paper play, blah, 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 will be the most annoying and stupid thing we talk about the whole time. I have another good one for you that'll be more of annoyance from the coach's standpoint. I did a podcast with this with Borky. They released the 2024 schedules with, SC, with Texas and Oklahoma joining. Coaches oh, yeah. getting asked questions about their 2024 schedule when you know they have not thought about it for one iota of a second because of the a million different things going on in their lives and, you know, um, you know, having to play a season this year. That will be a lot of questions, I think, that generate some really terrible answers because, to the coach's credit, why in the God's name are you thinking about that in July of 2020? You are 100% correct. That is so spot on. <laughs> I can already imagine them asking Lane Kiffin, are you really excited for Oklahoma coming to Oxford? Do you He's think like, you got a good draw or not? He's like, come on, man. It's actually interesting. I'm really concerned about going to New Orleans to play Tulane, actually, right now. So <laughs> let's not worry about Oklahoma in however many months away that is. Yeah, that'll be one that I'm sure the coaches will love. And Saban will give his answer and like how he got fucked. And everyone will be like, wow, that was so insightful. Thank you, coach. Yes. <laughs> no, he's just complaining. And that's, that's it. Yeah. And then the the last one I could think of, you hit the NIL piece of it. But I think the NIL thing will become the new, did your guys get bigger, faster, stronger this offseason? Like, I'm going to say the odds of a coach going up to the podium being like, our donors broke as shit. We don't have any money. I'm going to say the odds of that happening are pretty slim. Every single one's going to be We feel like we're competitive in the NIL space. We have a great thing to sell. It'll be a mandatory answer. But just one of these days, I'm waiting for some coach who's just had enough to be like, actually – we suck. We have no money and we have no hope. Wait, how about how about this? How many coaches are going to say that we're in professional sports now? Is uh, it over under 10? <laughs> you had Elijah Drinkwitz say that uh, I have a brother-in-law who's a doctor and he says lives. And I'm like, well, buddy, you make five million bucks a year. What Is this a cell phone? What is your point? Did you see this quote a few weeks ago? I did. Did you the see players the players making more than my brother and he says lives or brother-in-law? And I'm like, come on, man. You make the response coach football. The response to that was actually worse than the actual quote. Did you see the response to what he said on the fine bomb? He was basically like they were bringing it up and he was like, Yeah, that's not really what I meant. It was just more like you know, we're getting a lot of these kids so much money, and like, you know, where are we protecting them? Like they might just lose it all. Oh, it's like, oh, wow. 
do you think your players are so stupid that they're going to get paid and just lose all their money as if nobody in the world has ever done that before as though they don't deserve to get paid? Like, it was so bad. It was way worse than the actual quote. What a take. I love that. It's like, I make six, five, six million bucks a year, but these kids could blow their money, so they shouldn't have it. <laughs> but I'll gladly take a $200,000 for an SEC win bonus. It's going to be, it'll be a uh, entertaining TV event. As always, there's no real soccer corner to get to, but I'd be lying if I didn't Google the other day when the EPL season starts. I believe it's like August 12th, August 14th. Um, shortest offseason in the world. Is there anything we should follow in the soccer world in this uh, very short offseason we have? Um, it is transfer time where, you know, players are being bought and sold and moved different places. Um, this is a very interesting transfer year because the Saudis are all in. Let's do it. Um, and really big name players from a lot of clubs have been bought by the Saudis to go play in their league for the next year. Um, the goalkeeper Chelsea has sold like five players to different Saudi Arabian teams because they did such shit business in the in the winter that they had to get off some of these contracts. Um, so that's been like a really interesting thing to follow. It's been a, a guy, it's an epidemic. It's an they epidemic. had a guy that I've never heard of, and granted, that doesn't mean much. I'm trying to get more invested in soccer. I'm interested in it, but a guy that was not like top of the line, top of the line. I can't remember it was who signed like a three year, six hundred million dollar contract with one of those clubs. And I'm like. What do they mean? This guy's making 185 million a year, 200 million a year. Maybe it's 585, but this guy's like three years, $185 million a year. I was like, man, that sounds like a sick gig. It's insane. And like these are real players. I mean, they're they're not like top of the line. I mean, Karen Benzema, who came from Madrid, was one of the guys who's getting like $80 million a year. But I mean, Mindy, the goalkeeper, Conte. Um, and then another few players. I mean, Roberto Firmino from Liverpool is going over there. And some of these guys are like out, but some of these guys are also, I mean, Zayech from Chelsea is going. It's like, wow, like these guys have just decided that we're literally taking the money. We're just done competing. Uh, but there's been some other interesting, you know, non-Saudi Arabian moves. Uh, Declan Rice, who's one of the best English midfielders, went from West Ham to Arsenal for $134 million fee, which is, I think, the largest Whoa. ever for an English player. That's not even including his contract. That's just what Arsenal had to pay West Ham for him. Um, he's 24. That's he's absurd. He's 24. Incredible player. Really good get from them. Uh, United finally bought a player today, Mason Mount from Chelsea for like 55 million midfielder, kind of attacking midfielder guy, a little overrated in my opinion, but he's a good player and we needed it. Um Mbappe might be leaving this summer or next, which is like the Dame Lillard saga. It's like, oh, we hear this all the time. But Tired of the updates. We're tired of the updates. Mbappe, you're actually maybe worth talking about. Lillard, not as much, but uh, that's given that. And they're going on the American tour. I don't know if you've seen this. Uh, I'm going to watch United play Real Madrid here in Houston in about three weeks. And you did one last year, too. Was it United or someone else? Uh, city played like a Mexican team. That's right. That's right. It was, okay, uh, yeah. remember, I got confused because the city, the Mexican team was called like America. And I was like, well, how does America. that work? Club America. Yeah. Yeah. So that's I'm exactly really, what it was. Really, really excited about that. Uh, United has not been to the U.S. in a few years because Cristiano Ronaldo was like not allowed back in the U.S. because of like a domestic violence <laughs> dispute. It's some uh, tax issues dumb. elsewhere, too. Just a real, uh, real international, uh, international rap sheet he's racking up. Yeah. Um, so you, th those games will be kind of coming on. You'll you'll see them like here and there on TV and stuff. And then, I mean, shit, it's like August and this thing starts back up. That's the best part about the sport. 
it really never stops. I mean, the Euro under 21s are going on right now. The Gold Cup is going on right now. They had some matches in Houston recently. Um, that's like a kind of like the European version of, you know, all the Americas playing each other. Um, there was huge news that came out uh, that Copa America is going to be in the U.S. in 2024. The World I saw Cup, this. The World Cup is going to be in the U.S. in 26. And they just announced that the Club World Cup, which is like kind of like a newer competition where clubs from all around the world qualify for it. And they play in a, in a, a tournament uh, is going to be in the U.S. in 2025. Okay. So it's going to be a ton of like really high level matches being played in the U.S. over the next three years, which is super, super awesome. And like you're right about the schedule it being the best. Like the EPL somehow has extended their season from August to May, it only being 38 matches. Yes, I know there's all these cups and tournaments in between them and that helps supplement yeah. it, but it's not like the NBA where they go October to April and then the playoffs start in, you know, 55 to 60% of the regular season. It's like, it doesn't matter. Every game's big. It's fascinating on that note. And then the last thing, the Messi to enter Miami signing. Yeah. I mean, talk, you know, you're a big deal when you personally get a share of the league's TV revenue. That seems like a big deal. Congrats to Messi. Uh, That seemed like a huge day for American soccer, just on a, you know, general scale in terms of viewership and interest. I mean, his deal with Apple and the MLS and absurd. Miami, it's absurd. It's it's clearly the reason he chose it over going to Saudi Arabia, which might have been like or he would have been worth almost a billion dollars. It uh, sounded like his family was more keen on the idea of living in Miami versus uh, whatever. I've named the city in Saudi. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it is it is a massive sports story. He is the most famous athlete in the world currently. And it's probably not particularly close. And he is now playing the sport that he is debatably the best at in the U.S. I mean, he's going to be playing on afternoons in Houston and he's going to be traveling to Minneapolis and Portland. And it's it's huge for the MLS, for the viewership. I mean, the numbers that those games are going to do, they will triple. And they probably weren't doing great numbers to begin with. But the subscribers to Apple TV. I mean, just to watch this guy play, I mean, it's it's massive. It's a completely different dynamic than, let's say, you know, when Michael Jordan, you know, when he left the Bulls and went to the Wizards, it's like, okay, this is a different city. It's a whole different market, whole different deal. No, this is a totally different deal. I mean, he can still play maybe on the back end of his career, which is kind of a, a trend with a lot of the guys going to the MLS, but He's such a draw and it's such a change of scenery that it's a really completely different deal. And, you know, vague, like generally speaking, the trickle down economics of that will lead to probably hopefully higher salaries and just more, you know, generated revenue and just kind of interest in the MLS. Well, the, some of the coaches, no, you're exactly correct. So they asked the coach of the team in Chicago how he felt about it. Because I think Inter-Miami got in a little financial trouble and the MLS kind of hammered him with sanctions or whatever, whatever that entails i don't really follow the mls and he was like well how do you feel about them you know getting messy after all of that he's like it's the best thing ever happened to this league are you yeah. kidding me i get to coach against him he gets to come play us i mean that's what are we talking about here like, this is only positive for everybody involved and i'm not the biggest like I, the, some of the hardos in sports business kind of bothered me sometimes not to name names darren Ravel, but i did read an article that i think came from a fairly robust source that was like the Inter Miami was one apparently one of the worst clubs in the MLS. Terrible record, not a ton of interest. They play in a tiny stadium. I saw that the value of the club 
was I want to say either a little south or a little north of 500 million. And they estimated it after Messi signing, it went to the mid 950 millions, almost a billion dollars. They basically yeah. doubled their net worth as a club because this dude signed with them. That's insane. It, I mean, that is how crazy the sport is. And David Beckham is just laughing in money right now because he's like the majority owner of, of Miami. Really? Um, yeah. And one of the guys who like really got this done, this has been in the works for like a few years now of trying once he left Barcelona, it was like, okay, is he going to come to Miami? Like, this is the goal. And then he went to France, did that whole deal. It was kind of like a, wasn't a disaster, but it was not probably what he expected. And once he left there, I think they were really confident. They're like, you know, this is the time we've had this set up. He comes here all the time. I think Miami is going to be the next step. And it ended up being, which was, which is just awesome. He is Weldon Rodenberg. This has been your off season soccer corner, your off season recruiting saga. I appreciate the time, my man. The next time we'll hop on a mic, we'll actually have some football-ish stuff to talk about. It'll be kind of getting the clock started on the season. I really appreciate it, as always. And uh, Man City and Man United better not stiff you. I, I was just shamed we didn't get sideline passes when you showed up in Houston for Man City. Hopefully you get well-treated. I know they listened to this episode. I hope they did. <laughs> we'll see you next time, dude. All right, that'll do it for our show today. Appreciate Weldon's time. We'll see him uh, a little after SEC Media Days as uh, we get the football season uh, here rolling before too long. Thanks for listening to this podcast. As always, really appreciate you spending some time with us. Have a uh, very safe and happy 4th of July weekend, and we'll talk to you next week.